Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Humanity Jitsu Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Humanity Quinn. What is up, guys? And today I'm joined by someone who's been on the receiving end of my memeage lately. <laughs> this is stupid. <laughs> I'm joined by the sexual tyrannosaur himself, Robert Deagle. What is up, Robert? Hey, what's going on? <laughs> guys, for those of you who don't know, I made this meme about Robert Dare the other day. It was like the fucking angry video game nerds holding a, his fucking instructional in his hand and saying he's a tyr sexual tyrannosaur. That was the gist of it. But you know. Ah, mm. uh, man. So, Rob, for anyone who doesn't know, give a quick summary of yourself, Mr. Number One Competitor at Grappling Industries Nogi Adult Male <laughs> category. <laughs> yes. It's like, I don't, I don't know if I really want to identify uh, by that, have people know me as that. No, I'm kidding. Right? It, it's a cool thing to be the best at the best in grappling industries for what it's worth. Uh, but anyway, so I am a, uh, a full-time grappler uh, training uh, under John Danaher. I got my brown belt from him. Uh, formerly, I was a philosophy student at the City University of New York, Queens College. And I was originally planning on doing my PhD in philosophy and pursuing that direction with my life. But um, certain things, which we can talk about this on the podcast if it's interesting to you. I've talked about it on other podcasts, kind of why I veered away from academia um, and why I decided to go into jujitsu instead. It's funny, actually. I was um, uh, I competed over the weekend. I taught some seminars, and and um, I a buddy of mine who I went to school with, who is now doing his PhD. We were both both applying to PhD programs together. Um, he ha he happens to live in Texas now. And we got to talking, uh, and um, it was just so crazy to to think about like the direction my life could have gone. And and it's funny he's he was like saying that he he thinks that I did make the correct decision because academia at times there are some major downsides to it. But anyway, um, yeah, that's basically me in a, a nutshell. Hmm. I uh, see. Is there any sort of mis? This is one thing I was curious about. Is there any sort of misconceptions about like pursuing like a uh, what's it? Um, a course in like philosophy that people don't really can like. They, you know, you tell someone, "Oh, I do. I'm studying philosophy." You know, they might just think you're sitting in a room all day saying "why" all day. <laughs> is there any sort of mysticism you want to dispel around that sort of thing? Well, so the thing is, you got to understand, most of the undergraduates who are taking philosophy majors are planning on doing stuff like actually going into law school. Like most of the people I went to undergrad with were doing. They were going to go to law school or they were going to go to some other graduate school, which had like no specific undergraduate major requirements. So like, you know, everyone jokes around like, you know, you get a philosophy degree, you're going to work at Starbucks. Yeah. If you get a specific degree that doesn't provide technical training and then you don't plan on pursuing technical training down the line, yeah, you're probably going to get a job at like Starbucks or something. But I was doing it with the specific intention of being a professor. And most of the other students that I went to school with were planning on going to law school or or other things like that but i'll say this though the actual study of <clears throat> philosophy isn't that much different than just like empty navel gazing like a lot of it is just like sort of staring at stuff and thinking dumb pointless questions and you get really good at kind of like coming up with very clever and intricate ways to describe your pointless thought experiments and they become very interesting but it is in i Philosophy is interesting because on one level, I think it has a point, but 
on a very deep level, I think it is fundamentally pointless. Um, mm. Yeah, there's sort of like a lot of context I'd have to give to really explain what I mean by that. But yeah, I mean, a lot of it is empty navel-gazing. So I don't really think mm. that's a super unfair characterization. Mm. Now, see, one thing I like sort of, because, uh, <clears throat> see, I sort of like... Uh, you know, I like talking to people. Obviously, I wouldn't do a podcast if I did. I wouldn't do, be doing a jujitsu podcast if I didn't like talking to people. But uh-huh. See, I like sort of running hypothetical questions by people because, mm-hmm. you know, a good hypo- a good hypothetical question is you know something akin to a thought experiment. It just depends on how it's like phrased and delivered in a few. If you just put in a few caveats or what's the you know if you just phrase it well and just I, I, funnily enough, I'm not phrasing this point well. But you, you see what I mean? Like a good, a good <laughs> yeah, hypothetical question could be a, like something like a thought experiment if it's told well, asked well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it, it, they're, they're in a sense kind of one and the same thing. So absolutely, yeah. But then again, most fucking people, the most the most common hypothetical question, like, oh, dude, would you rather fucking bang this chick or that chick, dude? What the fuck, bro? Like, that's not <laughs> a thought experiment. That's a, that's an empty thought experiment, if anything. <laughs> Well, I'm I'm okay with entertaining those thought experiments. <laughs> if you were in my group chat with my trading partners, that's uh, <laughs> oftentimes like what we uh, wind up talking about a, a good percentage of the the time. So yeah, uh, guys, do you ever make uh polls in in the group chat about okay, uh, fifty one percent this chick, forty nine percent that chick? <laughs> it's not usually just you know me or or somebody else like. Sending, uh, you know, you you could DM an Instagram post to a group chat and just being like, Jesus fucking Christ, bro, like something, <laughs> just some stupid shit like that. Okay, so Robert, one thing I'm curious about each of my guests is how you first got started in jujitsu, and did you did you train in anything else before starting jujitsu? Yeah, so I I was a wrestler, believe it or not. If anyone's ever watched me grapple, they're like, wow, this guy wrestles? (laughs) Because I pulled guard (laughs) like every match. Uh, But like, um, yeah, I was actually a wrestler first. I started wrestling when I was 13, and I started wrestling for like a couple reasons. I think, honestly, the biggest reason I started wrestling was that like, there were a few things. Like, I, I kind of at the time wanted to get into a sport. Like at the time, I was very like bookish and and nerdy. I was reading like a lot of very negative philosophy. Like I was reading Albert Camus and Nietzsche when I was 13 and that stuff can be pretty depressing. Like the beginning of one of Camus' famous works is he says, uh, the most, the only serious, the only truly serious philosophical question is uh, of suicide. I'm slightly paraphrasing there, but like, (laughs) I was was a 13 year old kid. I was reading stuff like this and I was like, I, I felt like I needed, I felt like a sport would be something good for me. And I tried soccer at first, but I didn't really like it that much. I played soccer when I was younger, but it kind of was just like, or fo- or football, as you guys would call it, I guess. Um, it didn't really like, I didn't really like it that much. I guess like I, I, I always felt bad if I, if I did badly, I felt bad that I was letting other people down. You know what I mean? Because um, it's, because it's, it's, it's a team, right? And then with uh, wrestling, I only let myself down if I lost. Like that's something I really, I I I'm a very uh, I get very guilty when I when I like let people down, and I guess that really ate at me when I played soccer. The other reason I got into wrestling, maybe the bigger reason, was that at the time I was really into like uh, I really liked UFC, 
was watching a lot of UFC on like TV and stuff. I thought it was like cool. Like I liked the strategy involved and I saw that a lot of them had wrestling backgrounds. And at the time I wasn't really thinking of being a fighter or anything like that. I just thought it would be cool to learn some of the things that they were doing. And so um, I had a friend on the wrestling team and I figured, all right, fuck soccer. I'm going to go give wrestling a try instead. And he got me on the team and I, I wound up really liking it, you know? And, and, I, and I felt like um, uh, I really liked that even if I didn't do well, I didn't feel this guilt about letting other people down. Like there is a team, uh, you know, in, in wrestling, uh, in high school settings, you do have like a team. But it is like at the end of the day, really, everyone mostly cares about themselves, like whether they win or lose. Right? You're the one going out there. Uh, it's a, it's an individual sport at the end of the day. You have a team. That's how you build yourself up. But the performances, right? So it's interesting. It's both very cooperative, but it's cooperative cooperative in a sense without much burden on it. Whereas like a, a team sport, there's something of a burden of the cooperation, right? Because like you can really let people down. You still can in jujitsu or wrestling, but it's not quite the same. Um, anyway, so like, um, yeah, and I, I just wound up really liking wrestling and I, um, there were the things that I liked about wrestling are, are many of the same things I liked about jujitsu, but there were certain things I didn't like about wrestling. And I would say the biggest thing I didn't like about wrestling, and this is not a criticism of wrestling, broadly speaking, it's just a criticism of how I was taught wrestling is that it was kind of like meat heady. Like, there wasn't much strategy involved. Like, my coaches would always just kind of hammer into us, like, attacking them and being well-conditioned, which is well and good. You want to do those things. You want to be well-conditioned and you want to be aggressive. But there wasn't much strategy involved with it. And then, um, you know, so like I said, I, I liked UFC a lot. And the UFC fighters I liked the most were, like, the grapplers. Like, I liked BJ Penn a lot. I liked a lot of the Japanese guys, like Shinya Aoki. Who, not, not UFC, but I watched Dream as well. Aoki was fighting in Dream at the time. Dream doesn't exist anymore. Uh, and um, so uh, pretty much as soon as wrestling ended, like the next week, I started jujitsu. So you could say in a sense, like I kind of, I, I, you know, I, I want, I actually had wanted to do jujitsu when I was doing wrestling. I wanted to do both, but uh, my parents wouldn't pay, wouldn't pay for jujitsu when I was 13. And I didn't, I didn't have a job. So <laughs> <laughs> I was like 13. So all I all I did was wrestling. And then by the time I had finished my senior wrestling season, I had a job. I was working at a pizzeria here in New York so I could I could pay for my jiu-jitsu classes. And uh, yeah, that's that's how I got into jiu-jitsu. And I I'll say the biggest thing about jiu-jitsu that I liked over wrestling was there was a more overt emphasis on strategy. Like again, I want to be clear. Like I'm not saying wrestling doesn't have strategy because it definitely does. And at a higher level, I'm sure like the better coaches are much more strategic. Jiu-jitsu, just as it's taught, is usually more like overtly strategic. Whereas sometimes, um, you know, I feel like in like high school wrestling settings or middle school wrestling settings in the U.S., it's not really as strategic. To be fair, you know, my high school wrestling coach was a history teacher. You know what I mean? Like he wasn't a full-time wrestling coach. So he was doing the best he could, but yeah. So anyway, that was, that's more or less how I got into jujitsu and why I, I felt like drawn to it over wrestling, which is where I started grappling. Mm. Now there's a few things there I want to address. Number uh -huh. one, I'm noticing a theme, Mr. Philosopher, 
wrestler and prodacious beard. Are you sure you're not fucking a reincarnation of one of those ancient Greek philosophers? Are you sure? You're positively <laughs> certain. Uh, well, um, maybe. <laughs> well, it's funny because, like, uh, I yeah, it is. It is funny, right? Like, uh, they like so the concept of a genius that the Greeks had was much more um, comprehensive than the one we have in the modern day sometimes, right? Like this idea of physical and mental fitness as both being important. And I do actually think there's some sense to that. I think it's probably healthier for you as a person if you if you consider both the physical and the mental aspects of like your health. If you are like your your fitness, so to speak. Do you get what I mean? Yeah. You can't yeah. go just like, you know, you have the two sort of uh, extremes. You have the 300-pound muscly guy who doesn't have a single brain cell to count, you know, who thinks he's too strong to, you know, to need to be intelligent. And then you have, you know, the, the inverse. You have the, like, the little Poindexter dude who doesn't have a single bit of muscle fiber in his body. Just, <laughs> he's really smart, but, he, you know, I doubt he could lift a, lift a hammer, let alone, you know, hit in a nail. No, just saying. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, hundred percent. And so, um, yeah, I guess I was closer to the Poindexter when I was younger, <laughs> but I, uh, uh, I think I'm, I'm I, I, I think I balance both pretty well. I, you know, I genuinely like um, reading, and I also genuinely like jujitsu. So, um, yeah, mm. I hope that I have a good balance. Mm. You break a mental sweat occasionally. Like, <laughs> okay, I've had enough of he looking people today. I'm gonna read it, read, uh, read some history books or something. Yeah, well, I think heel hooking people is a can be a very taxing mental exercise too. Although there's so many fine details that go into it, so um, <laughs> heel hooking people is is an intellectual stimulation all to itself. <laughs> uh, speaking of books, is there anything you're reading currently? That's uh, you know, what are you reading at the moment? If uh, if you don't mind me prying. No, yeah, of course, uh, of course not. Um, so yeah, I was re- I uh, I have three books in my backpack that I'm. I'm competing most weekends, so like flying out and shit. And like the three books that I've been bringing with me are Coaching Wrestling Successfully by Dan Gable, which is like a really good book uh, by the, uh, the very famous Iowa wrestler Dan Gable about like his coaching philosophy. And also also just coaching wrestling specifically. Um, I, think it's, I think it's very good. Uh, I really want to work on my stand-up grappling, like, you know, my wrestling point for ADCC. Um, and it's also just a, p- a part of grappling. And I want to be able to coach all parts of grappling. And then there's also, I've got uh, uh, Ludwig Wittgenstein Philosophical Occasions, which is a, an assortment of Wittgenstein's shorter and smaller writings uh, arranged by uh, James Claga, who's a Wittgenstein scholar. Um, and then I have uh, Ender's Game, which is a fiction book about strategy. Like a, it's, it's about like... So like a, it's a sci-fi book, basically. I, I've been reading that since I was a kid. I've probably read it like 30 times. It's one of my favorite books. Hmm, I remember they put a, a movie about, out about that a few years ago. had like Harrison yeah. Ford in it. It was not received well, if memory serves me right. Yeah, it was terrible. <laughs> so bad. <laughs> like, is it one of those... Because we all know how the adaptations work when you get like, a, you know... A book to a movie did they just miss the whole point of the book like in some adaptations i think they kind of did i only saw it once in the theaters and i was with a girl and i was more focused on trying to get laid than the movie so i don't remember it super <laughs> well 
<laughs> like, yeah, but like for what I remember, first of all, the book is like um it's not super long, but it's not short either. And mm. the movie does not pack in everything very well. Um, I don't think it's a book that you could make into a movie very easily because it's kind of like very violent and dark. I mean, there it's a book where like a young boy of like 10 years old murders, like literally murders multiple other young boys. <laughs> so like, how do you make that into a movie? Like, I, I'm not sure, you know, because like usually movies don't show children being killed. Uh, I mean, it happens, but it's kind of rare. And that movie was not rated R. It was rated PG-13. So, yeah, it's it's sort of a movie that it's kind of like a weird. It doesn't really capture the book, like what makes it good, like at all. But yeah, I know it doesn't. I, I don't care that it exists. Like, I'm not one of those fans of of like there are some people who like books or comic books or something. And then the movie adaptation sucks. And then they get mad over it. That's not me. Because in my opinion, um, it doesn't matter. Like, the, the book still exists. You know what I mean? Like, it doesn't... There's only one... There's only one adaptation that actually bothers me. And that's oh, the... Oh, oh. <laughs> that's the Watchmen adaptation. I don't know if you know the comic book Watchmen. Um, yeah. Yeah, I, I love the comic. I think it's so good. And the reason why the adaptation bothers me is because it was so close to being good. It got the visuals right. But then they just change. Did they just change things for no reason? Like, why would you like? It's so dumb. Like, some of the I don't want to spoil it to anyone that hasn't seen it. But I mean, it's pretty old at this point. So, like, it, oh wait, I thought was this the the movie that came out in the uh, 2010s, or was it the recent series on Amazon Prime you're talking about? Well, both suck. Both suck oh, okay. hard. Yeah, in my in my opinion, both suck very hard. Um, but I'm talking about the original movie. The original movie is fucking. It sucks because it's so visually appealing. It's such a great movie on a visual level, but it's just like the some and 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 even the actors are very fucking good. They all do a good job for the most part of of capturing their characters, especially uh, the guy who plays Rorschach. He does an awesome job. But oh, dude, he he played uh, Freddy Krueger in the Nightmare yes. uh, Nightmare on Elm Street reboot. Yeah, same well. guy. Yeah, he's a fucking badass actor. It's just the movie's not good. The, the the they just change things for no reason like kind of like butcher the plot but yeah that's that <laughs> <laughs> oh so rob see one thing i'm curious about is like since um since you've been really successful at competing at a <clears throat> at a format like grappling industries a sort of round robin style is there any uh -huh. sort of like uh thing you do it to prep to prepare for that as opposed to a standard tournament format because you know you are guaranteed <laughs> more fights you know, so, you know, you obviously go in knowing you have, uh, plus you sign up for a shitload of divisions. I, I, I see your Insta, man. You, you, you're like a fucking workhorse. You, you, you're, in, you're in so many divisions. Jesus Christ. Like, so what nice. goes into prep, prep, preparing for about eight mm. to fucking 16 fights a day? Yeah. So, I mean, like, <clears throat> you have to understand why. I, so, first of all, uh, I'll explain, like, why I do so many divisions. I'm just trying to get matches, man. I just want the experience i want to grow i want to get better to me that's what competition is all about and so i uh if i said like to me like i don't care so much about like oh i won the tournament right like i want to go out there and compete as much as i can i want to get as many matches as i can so 
I am a I'm a 66 kg grappler, uh, and I like I walk at about like 66 to 67 kg, but I compete typically at 70 and 77 kg just to get more matches. I'll do 66, 70, and 77 just to get more matches. Also. <laughs> You could thank ADCC for the fact that I know the KG system. <laughs> uh, yeah, as an American, I wouldn't normally know those things, but ADCC is an international tournament, so the weight classes are listed under kilograms, so that's that's why I learned them. But like, um, uh, yeah, so basically, like, um, uh, it's just all it's just all about getting matches for me, and I don't do anything different to prepare. I mean, the truth of it is, is that like, um, uh. I, I think that you, any good tournament, you have to expect a lot of people are going to sign up for it, right? Like the ADCC trials, you could easily get seven to eight matches on a, on a on, you know on a day, you know. Uh, so a grappling industries where you get that or more is just good preparation for that. You know what I mean? So um, yeah, that's that's how I view it. Like this weekend, I'm competing twice. I'm going to be in Las Vegas on Saturday and then Phoenix, Arizona on Sunday. Uh, and then the weekend after that, I'm going to be in South Carolina. And then the weekend after that, I'll be in Maryland and Connecticut. And then the weekend after that, I'll be in Florida. And then I'm, th- I'm taking a break. And then I'm competing once more, taking one more break, and then I'm doing the trials. So that's that's what it's looking like. Yeah. Can't wait for that, man. You're gonna. I'm, I'm com- fairly, fairly confident that you're going to tear shit <laughs> up there. Thank and you. I'm not yeah. just saying that because you'll reach. Through, I'm not just saying that because you'll reach through the screen and kill me if I don't. I wholeheartedly <laughs> believe it. <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it, man. Yeah, I'm. I'm really, really working hard for that. That's the only reason I'm still in the United States at this point. Um, I would have, mm-hmm. I would have probably gotten to Singapore. I mean, the trick is, I can't guarantee I would have gotten into Singapore, but we would have, we would have kept applying. Um, the 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 gentleman getting hired to teach at law. Um, but. Yeah. Um, so, hmm. I'll see, man. Also, see, since you're oh, sorry, since you've uh, had such a lot of success in competition, how did it initially start? Like, how 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 was your first few competitions in jiu-jitsu? Like, how to how did you find like how did you get into this fucking rhythm anyway? Like, how did you you know elaborate on the early days of your competition scene? Um. Well, I started competing pretty early on into training. I had my first competition in jiu-jitsu six months after I started training. Um, um, or actually, no, sorry, it was three months. It was even earlier than that. I got my blue belt after six months. I had my first white belt tournament at three months. Um, it just seemed like that's what I should do if I'm going to test what I'm doing. I think that competition is a very good way to test the viability of what you're doing in a in a big way, competition keeps us honest. You know, sometimes it can be easy to sort of, sort of um, fade into laziness, allow just sort of stagnation to take over. And competition keeps us, or it can, or it doesn't necessarily, but it can keep us from from stagnating. It can give us encouragement to say, "Hey." Um, don't get lazy because if you do, somebody's going to go fuck you up. If you're not honest with yourself, competition reveals the truth. You know, if you're not honest, you're not going to find the truth of the viability of certain techniques and then you're going to get fucked up. So it's always appealed to me in that sense. 
I don't really like competition that much. It stresses me out. But I like that it keeps me honest, and that's important to me. If I'm going to do something, I want to do it very seriously. And I think that means doing it honestly. So jiu-jitsu is a way for me to or, – sorry, I should say competition is a way to ensure that I am able to do that with jiu-jitsu. Nice, man. Pretty good way to look at it, in my opinion. Dude. Mm, thank you. What would you say, like, in your in your sort of early days, and if you say, if the answer to this question is anything to do with Helux, I'm going to scream. <laughs> uh, what, was the, what was the sort of favorite uh, submission you caught in competition? Like, besides Helux, obviously, anything mm. else in the world will do. <laughs> in, my, in my early days, it was the triangle, 100%. Yeah. Um, I almost exclusively finished people with triangles and arm bars in my early days, but mostly triangles, to be honest. Um, I, my first, I remember my first six matches, I got five triangles, and then I got one rear naked from the back. So I got some, I got one person's back. Um, yeah, but mostly triangles. I was like really obsessed with triangles, which is actually how I started to get into leg locks. Because what happened was people would stand up outside of my guard, and I couldn't triangle them anymore, obviously, because their posture was too high. So I was like, okay, what target do I have available to me now? And it was their legs. So I started attacking their legs. And that's the triangle led directly into leg locks. Mm. Damn, man. Because obviously, if you're in certain positions, you'll be triangling your legs, Mr. Cross Ashy. I don't know if that's the right terminology because, you know, it's, you need like a translation book for John Danaher ease when you uh -huh. want other positions. <laughs> no, yeah. If, I mean, when you're rounded enough, you hear it often. It becomes pretty, pretty normal. Cross Ashy just means like, Ashi just means leg, right? So you could say like, and sometimes I do say things like cross leg entanglement. The trouble is entanglement has like a lot of syllables and like <laughs> garami is just easier to say. So to be honest, the reason why I go with the uh, the Japanese is just out of convenience. Like Ashi garami is just a, it just flows better than leg entanglement. Like I would prefer to have English terms for them, you know, like, but I don't really... It to, I mean, it's a matter of indifference to me. If, if you have a term and you use it with other people who understand it, I don't think that you could, even, like, even the 10th line of names, a lot of them are very silly, but, like, at the end of the day, if it gets the job done, if you can communicate effectively to another person, that's all that really matters. Mm. I have an idea for an alternate name to cross Ashi. How about Parallel Leg Cross? Parallel <laughs> Leg Cross. Um, I... Guess that sort of describes a cross Ashi. Yeah, it does kind of. <laughs> if you want to, <laughs> well, there's so many names for that position. Like you definitely could. There's very stupid names for it. So you, that's less stupid than most of the names out there for it. So if you want to call it that, by all means, the parallel, <laughs> the parallel leg cross. So I guess like diagonal Ashi would be like what perpendicular leg cross. Does that fit? I'm trying to like picture it. It kind of are the legs perpendicular. They sort of are perpendicular there. Yeah, <laughs> that's not that's not bad. You're onto something there. Uh, dude, uh, could you throw me like five bucks for like name royalties if you called your next instructional perpendicular leg <laughs> leg cross or something? I'll, I'll be sure to definitely. Every every sale you'll get point zero one percent. Oh, dude. I'll actually be making money off jujitsu. Oh my god! <laughs> It'll add up in time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, dude, money's money. I don't care. Uh, so uh -huh. Speaking of instructionals, guys, little sidetrack. If you if you want to check out Rob's instructionals, it's at robertdeaglestraining.com. It'll be linked in the description anyway. And he has Kani Basami, 
and leg lock defense and guard retention. What 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 uh, one did you say you put more? What's it? Uh, which one is more recent? It was the leg lock and def- guard retention, right? One, yeah, right? that yeah, that's the most recent one. Also, it's it's not uh, it's not Robert Deagle training. It's it's Robert Deagle uh, BJJ online. Uh, you're mixing uh, okay. with Kit Dale. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're both handsome, so you know I can't help it. Oh, jeez, thank you. I appreciate it. Um, but like. Um, yeah, the, the leg leg defense is the newer one. Um, that one is, is um, I think it's the best instructional I've ever done. Um, I've, I've recorded four instructional so far. Um, two are on my site. One has yet to be edited. Uh, and one was one I did with another company. Uh, I think they're all good. But I do think that the most recent leg lock defense one is the best one I've ever done. I just, it's also, it's also a topic that I, I really, I really, uh, feel very like strongly about like I think that it's a topic that gets very little systematic attention I feel like when people teach leg lock defense it's usually in kind of like a disorganized way whereas I think honestly the only way to really effectively tackle the topic is in a systematic way because like the truth is, is like when you get attacked with one leg entanglement or one leg lock it, you're not that far off from other entanglements or other leg locks. Anytime you attack with a leg lock, leg locks are different than arm locks in the sense that there are many different in many ways. But one way that they're different is that with leg locks, there's always a certain sense of mutual opportunity where even if you have me in the most dominant possible entanglement, I can still in a few moves turn things around and begin countering and attacking you with leg locks. Whereas with arm locks, yes, there are certain opportunities that are mutual. Like, so for instance, sometimes like Carlos Newton very famously turned, he was getting attacked with a Kimura from a bottom half guard and he turned that into a straight arm lock of his own, right? Um, so there is some mutual opportunity, but it's not to the same degree. With leg locks, there's a very high de- uh, degree of mutual opportunity, okay? So what that means is almost any time you attack with a leg lock, you have if you want to be confident in doing so, you need to simultaneously be very confident in your leg lock defense. Okay. And so um and 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 it's just like I think that the best way to tackle the topic is in an organized and systematic way. Because if you're gonna jump in, you gotta know all of it. So that's just my mindset about leg locks and leg lock defense. And um so I, I I really care about the topic a lot and I don't think there are any good instructionals out there. I don't think, I, I think mine is like the only good one, to be honest. I can't even think of another one. Uh, uh, the Eddie Cummings jiu-jitsu one is pretty good. It's not that long. He only covers a few things, but it, w- from what it shows, it's quite good. So mm. that's kind of the only other one I can even think of. I don't even think anyone else has even made one other than those. Um, but mine is much more comprehensive. Mine has covers many, many more topics. So, yeah, of course I'm biased. It's my own instructional, but I do legitimately think it's the best one out there. Oh, dude, that's the sort of inverse of how most people feel about their work. Some people are, like, super critical of their work. So, oh, dude, uh, you know. <laughs> but, man, you know, I think that's quite telling if, you know, people always have a le- look at their work with their with a certain lens of, you know, you know you're you're going to feel differently about it and stuff but mm-hmm. you know the fact that you think it's good and you're looking at it from a lens that you created so i think that's that's something to be said yeah thanks i mean to make no mistake i'm also very self-critical like i can look at my instructionals and i do think there is a lot to work on i think my presentation needs a lot of work um i think that 
things like the lighting. Um, I, I wish I set up better, things like that. Um, there's always things to be improved. I think that the arrangement of the techniques on an instructional. So what's fortunate for me is that because I have my instructionals on my own website and I own the full rights to them, I can go back at any given moment and I can edit things. I'm not, I'll never take something off that's been on because people might like it, but I, I'll go back, I'll add things. Um, I'll put little addendums, I'll put new videos up. So I plan on kind of like, they're kind of like living documents in a sense. So when I figure new shit out, I'm not opposed to throwing it up there, right? Like these are, that's the things that I'll do. And I can, because it's my own website. So yeah, that's definitely something nice about having them on my own website. I say that's super helpful and stuff because like if if anyone if anyone has ever made like a YouTube video you know you know the pain because bef before I did a uh, podcast and stuff when I was like uh, still a teenager I was doing like video game reviews vi review videos they were god awful but like the second you click publish you're like oh fuck I should have put this in or I should have cut this out but the fact that you have that sort of arrangement on your website you could sort of add and uh you know put other things in you know ch chop stuff if it's not working and stuff or you know i know you, you said you wouldn't do that but the option is still there if you ever felt the need to i say that's yeah. way more handy as as just as terms of content creation goes yeah no 100 percent. It, it's something very nice about the uh, format of the 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 content um yeah yeah so i i like it a lot um um you know so uh, yeah, anyway, <laughs> nothing else to say about that. Oh, you mentioned that you're, uh, what's it, you're editing a new instruction. Like, obviously, I don't want you to give too much away because, you know, uh -huh. life is like you had a save or surprises in life. But would I be <laughs> correct in assuming, because I got a message about this, is your next big thing to be focusing on the arm saddle? Nudge, nudge, yes. wink, wink. Yeah. Ooh. Yeah. No, it, it, no, I mean, I, I'm, I want to market it. So I'll tell people it's the arm saddle. Yeah. Yeah, it's the arm saddle. Um, well, the next one, is, it's not just the arm saddle. It's covering, basically, I'm covering modern joint lock offense, generally speaking. Um, mm -hmm. I want to explain how I view the role of joint locks in jujitsu, generally speaking. Okay, and that includes, uh, I'm going to show arm locks and leg locks. And from the arm lock side of things, there's a heavy emphasis on the arm saddle, which I believe is the best way to begin entangling an opponent's arms and attacking them in a no-gi context. Um, I think it's far superior to any other uh, arm entanglement and arm lock uh, attacking strategy. I think the arm saddle is very, very underrated. And to my knowledge, no one has approached it in a systematic way. There are people who are quite good at it. Um, for instance, Craig Jones is very good at it. I've seen Lachlan use it with a lot of success. Ross Nichols, I've seen use it with a lot of success. And I studied these guys, and I, I really started to like the position, like, a lot. And But one of the things that sort of uh, frustrated me about it was that there wasn't a lot of material out there on it. And, at the, and also, like, it didn't seem like people were really diving deep on the position in the way that I think that they should have been, considering how valuable I thought that it was. Uh, and so I, I took that upon myself to jump into it. Like I, I, it's funny. Like I, I was very interested in the arm saddle and I never really even thought of it as a thing that people would give that much of a shit about. And then I, I put up a YouTube video on it, uh, and just sort of like 
putting it up, but not like thinking too much about it. And it was my most well-received YouTube technique video. And then I just sort of just see, <laughs> I put up another one and people also really liked it. So I was like, all right, people like the arm saddle. Like, and I, at the time, the arm saddle was sort of like a pet side project of mine. I mainly was teaching like leg lock seminars and I would occasionally teach like back attack seminars. Most people know me for my leg locks and my back attack, right? I mean, that's what most people know my team for, period, right? Like when you think of Danaher trained grapplers, the things you most think of us, the things we all are good at are leg locks and back attacks. We all have our different emphases. For instance, you know, when people think of Ethan, they oftentimes think of triangles, right? He's very well known for that. Uh, when people think of Gordon, okay, oftentimes they think of like, you know, passing, right? Uh, when people think of Gary, they oftentimes think of flying attacks, right? Flying kind of Usami, uh, rolling uh, Victor, uh, Victor rolls into the leg, etc. Right? Like, so we all have our sort of individual things that we're quite good at, um, but we have those shared things of the leg locks and the, uh, the back attacks. Uh, but it was a really nice surprise to me that people were so enamored with the arm saddle because I, I really love it. You know, um, and I, I really want to continue to develop it. And I, I think that I think that the arm settle can usher in a new era of arm locking offense in a Novi setting. I don't think it will revolutionize things, but I do think that it will because I think revolutionize is like a is like a really strong term. But I do think it will. I do think if I continue to develop it and demonstrate its effectiveness in competition, I do think that people will start to see how under un, underutilized this position is and i do think it will spread in popularity no i don't think it'd be a stretch at all to say that that's sort of the eventuality that would come with high level people such as mm-hmm. like you mentioned craig jones lachlan and of course the great robert deagle don't know if you know him but man obviously with high, if high level people are using it and you know most people aren't familiar with it and you're showing its effectiveness and you know mm-hmm. showing you know a bunch of different varied attacks from there. You know, you're, you're laying it out in a well-structured way, like in your upcoming instructional. I don't see why, it, you know, it's not a stretch to say that, that that's going to, you know, sort of, what's it, revolutionize the game, like you said, or what's, I'm trying to think of that word. Uh, what's it, um, I don't know. It'll just overall improve the sort of, mm-hmm. that sort of aspect of jiu-jitsu. That's not a co- controversial statement by any means. Yeah, well, like like I said, like the, I don't want to use the term revolutionize because I think it's a very strong term, right? Um, it's tough to ever make predictions. Like I think this will, like to predict that something will revolutionize something is is a hard. You better feel very fucking strongly about it. And like I do feel very strongly about the arm saddle, but not. I don't know. I mean, this is this level of like subjectivity to this, but like hopefully you get what I'm saying. That it's. I do think it's very good, and I think it will. I think people will adapt, um, but no, I, I get you because you know, you obviously, yeah. obviously, you know, with the advent of leg locks, no doubt it started out in a similar sort of arrangement. People, you know, mm-hmm. seeing oh, leg locks, people don't really do leg locks that much. Okay, I'll show leg locks work, obviously, and thus we we find we find ourselves in the good timeline. You know, so, you know. <laughs> I, yeah. I don't see how how that same sort of scenario couldn't be, couldn't happen with arm saddle, you know, you know. Yeah, that's very well, likely. Right. Well, the difference is is that the so the there are some big differences between arm locks and leg locks that I think will keep the arm saddle from being quite as. Uh, I would say there was a revolution with leg lock attacks that I would feel comfortable with saying. The the difference is the the chief difference is that 
the arm saddle is something which largely becomes available in a single scenario, which is when you're dealing with somebody who's pressuring you and you're playing guard. You Or you could also get an arm saddle from a top position when you have passed someone's guard. You won't really get it. So you won't really get an arm saddle if someone's standing. So arm locks, there are fewer opportunities to attain them than leg locks. But I would argue that whenever you, uh, I would prefer to have an arm lock because the defensive reactions an arm lock produces are preferable to those that a leg lock produces. The, the, the defensive reactions a leg lock produces are, are still quite good for us. We can gain things from them that are quite positive, but they're not as advantageous as those we get from an, an arm lock, which like, so for instance, when someone typically defends uh, an arm lock, there's two main ways people can defend joint locks. They can do so in an open fashion where, they're, where their limbs are not connected and they're using the misalignment of their joints to stay safe. So like a hitchhiker escape or a turnout escape, right? Hitchhiker escape for an arm lock, turnout escape for a leg lock. Um, that, that's where the, le- the, the limbs are not connected. Or they can do so in a closed fashion. So for instance, if, I, if I'm at a 50-50 and I close my legs or I'm uh, getting attacked by an arm bar so I grasp my hands, right, for instance, typically when... Uh, when someone tries to defend an arm lock and they grasp their hands together, right, in a closed fashion, they're going to almost always give you good opportunities to take their back, okay? Leg locks, by contrast, the primary defensive reaction they produce is that the man will bring his hips down to the mat in order to protect the space behind his knee. So one of the chief ways we expose a heel is by applying pressure to the back of the knee, okay? You see this in a backside 50-50, or also in a far hip ashi, okay? Um, if you take a look at these positions, you'll see the chief mechanic being used to expose the heel is the application of pressure to the back of the knee, okay? And you can hide that by bringing your hips down to the mat, which puts you know, your knees in a situation where there's not much space behind them, and if there's not much space behind them, you can't really put pressure behind them, okay? So the trick is, is that arm locks are harder to get into but the defensive reactions they produce are stronger if you gave me a good arm saddle i would rather have that than almost any leg entanglement because you're going to have a stronger ability stronger ability to get to someone's back okay whereas with the leg locks typically what it's going to make you do uh from a defensive perspective if you don't want to get leg locks oftentimes you'll sacrifice mobility and you'll bring your hips to the mat in such a case you can then get on top but then you would still need to pass their guard and things like that. So you're, you're farther away from their back. Hmm. I uh, see. Uh, an interesting thought just occurred to me, like since we're on, like I was thinking about the, the cross ashy sort of arrangement, like the way you just phrase it. And we were talking about the perpendicular things just there. I, I have two proposed names for arm saddle if you're up for it. These, these are two <laughs> other names, but I'm just, I'm just thinking, cause how about, uh, <laughs> just bear with me because i come up like um one of my co-hosts on my topic episodes is a judo black belt and you know he used that term- uh-huh. terminology and we came up with a name for one position called uh mitsubishi gatami like the car company mitsubishi but gatami <laughs> because why not <laughs> how about how about you call arm saddle mitsubishi gatami or to keep it the sort of cross ashy motif like uh-huh. since you know since judo arm locks called like uh juji gatami how about cross juji or something um, yeah, I guess cross juji would work. I'd usually call it side juji katami if somebody really wants a Japanese name, but 
Yeah, I guess cross could also work because you want kind of like across their body. Um, mm. So I call it the arm saddle. It's funnily, it's funny enough actually bring up the cross Ashi because the saddle is an alternative name for the cross Ashi, and I see the arm saddle as being very much as the arm lock equivalent of the cross Ashi or the saddle. So that's why I started calling it the arm saddle. <laughs> it's just a dumb joke. <laughs> no, that's a that is that is good name arm saddle. Like it is pretty, you know. Like you, you said, it is sort of akin to the leg equivalent of a saddle, you know, so right. arm equivalent of saddle, sorry. So it is like, from like a actuarial standpoint, it makes a lot of sense. But right. I just thinking with the sort of, you know, consistency and stuff, I just think that'd be cool. Or how about slanted juju or jumbled juju <laughs> or juju juju? I like jumbled juju. That's the best one you go with. I actually like the jumbled juju name. That's pretty good. I think I'm gonna use in the future as a joke the jumbled juju. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, uh, get that get that right written on the back of your rash card. It's jumbo juju, uh, jungle juju time or something. Jumbo juju. I'll say yes, jumbled <laughs> juju time, and I'll say it. I'll put humanzi. It'll be like a quote, be like humanzi. Uh, like a dash. Uh, speaking of quotes, I actually do have a, a quite prophetic, prophetic quote or philosophical one, and I made this up. I don't want to hear anyone say otherwise because I coined this term. It is, "Don't start a leg fight, you can't leg win." Air okay. quote, humanity. Well, I've been, uh, you know, I've had to tell tell myself that a few times. Like, okay, maybe don't do that in future. Well, <laughs> noted. If anyone, if anyone, uh, uh, if anyone says that they came up with it, I'll know that you came up with it. Exactly. Or uh, what was the other? One? I'm trying to think. Of, I had another quote, and this one was actually set way better. It was like uh, I'm trying to think of it now because this was actually a good quote. Was like, uh... Oh yeah, yeah. So yeah, sorry. It was. Uh, I'd rather have a bad day on the mat than a good day off them. That was one of my ones as well. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I might have taken that like subconsciously from someone, but I think that's a uh, good the way I phrased. It. I'm like, yeah, that's a humanity uh -huh. original. <laughs> right. Okay. Uh, so guys, we've reached the segments of the podcast. I like to call around the specifics. It's just a bunch of random questions. Some about jujitsu, some aren't about jujitsu. So Rob, do you want to do around the specifics, my man? Yeah, let's do it. Mm-hmm. Uh, dude, I don't know if this question's applicable to you, but I'm going to ask it anyways. Uh, what is your favorite gi, Mr. No-Gi, the expert guy? <laughs> so I actually do have a favorite gi, though. Uh, the only gi that I ever liked wearing was the Vulcan Ultralight, because it just it was like, it, it, as the name implies, it's it's ultralight, and so uh, it didn't feel that bulky on my body. So yeah, I always liked the Vulcan Ultralight. Mm. Question: Do people do people make death grips on your Vulcan ultralight gi? Um. Well, when I was training in the gi, people would try to. Yeah, <laughs> I mean that's like that's one of the things you got to do in the gi if you want to have success. As a result, it can really fuck your fingers up. But like, yeah. Okay, so guys, I call this grip arrangement the spot grip. You're gonna make the fucking Vulcan hand gesture. You're gonna grip the collar in such a fashion so then the grip can't be broken. That's why it's called the spot grip, dude. Oh my god, <laughs> Jesus! Now guys, when you're doing the spot grip, you cannot be wrist locked because Vulcans have very dexterous wrists. That is a fact. Try wrist lock me. Yeah, I didn't think so. 
<laughs> well, the trouble is you're probably gonna fuck your own fingers up. <laughs> like that's one of the issues with the gi is that there's this almost like sense of which like you need to grip very hard, but it can cause a lot of damage to your fingers as a result. I mean, I yeah, I mean, like I used to sort of tape my fingers up when I did the gi, but like yeah, that was a contributing factor to why I don't train in the gi anymore. Too much, too much small digit injuries. You know what I mean? Mm. Oh, dude, man, I nearly broke my fucking toe recently in in, in gi training. Uh-huh. Yeah, uh, that's sort of thing too. Yeah, that's very common in the gi. Um, but yeah, I mean, not to say that there's not injuries in no gi too, but I actually think no gi is safer. Funnily enough. Uh, I just I just love lapel guard too much. I, I and to be fair, I've actually won stuff in the gi, so I'm like, okay, uh, maybe I'll stick with this little safety net here. <laughs> I, lo- I just prefer gi. There's there's nothing uh, wrong with nothing wrong with I mean both are like there's nothing wrong with preferring one. You know what I mean? Like I th- respect athletes in both sports. In fact, in some sense, I'm kind of envious of gi competitors because I think the gi competitive infrastructure is a little better better developed than the nogi one the nogi one is kind of a shit show um so mm. if i could go back i'd probably have focused on the gi <laughs> to be honest <laughs> like you know I, I actually did an episode about this recently uh why people dislike the ibgf i should have brought this up earlier because we were singing the praise of grappling industries like i, I really love their format as i've said a million yeah. times on the, on the show before but you know like you mean to tell me people at black belt worlds aren't allowed heel hook get the fuck out of here I, I, yeah. don't, I don't I don't I don't approve at all. I mean I I'm not even sure why they're I don't know why they wouldn't allow it. It there's um the, there's a lot of evidence to contradict the idea that it like causes more injuries inherently. Like because if that was true you would you would see it in like the sub only scene, you'd see like a ton of people with like just destroyed knees, but you know, we don't see that, right? Like so it doesn't really stand to uh, reason that they should be banned based on that argument. Um, and like, I think the IBGF does a great job of running tournaments. They're clearly the most professionally run event in the world. I don't think any event surpasses them in that capacity. Um, however, the downside is that, you know, they have a very stupid rule set. <laughs> That's what ruins it. I, if, man, I, I like the IBJJF in some sense, and I would more, I would be more than willing to compete for them more frequently, if not for the fact that they just have a terrible rule set. It's a mm. really bad rule set, which, you know, it's like T-ball. It's like the T-ball version of Jiu-Jitsu. It's like being a no-gi world champion in the IBJJF is like, it's like, you know, you're the best T-ball player on the planet, okay? What does that mean? You're not playing the actual game, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's like uh, winning the Tour de France with stabilizers on your bike. Yeah, exactly. It's like you didn't win the actual game. You know what I mean? So, congratulations, I guess. Mm, okay. Like, that's a, it just doesn't make sense to me. Like, you know, because, okay, so you mean to tell me that all these other no-gi uh, competitions that have heel hooks, their people are very, aren't getting injured, or they're not getting injured to the frequency as you say it would happen. Okay, fight to win. People aren't getting injured with Elux. Grappling Industries, fucking Kasai grappling, all that shit, you know. But right. magically, the IBGF, if you allowed Helux, it would just be fucking anarchy. Right. I'm not, I'm not buying it. Uh, yeah, of course. You're completely right, right? That's the point that I'm making. Yeah, I mean, it's, so it's like, why isn't every grappling industry like 
just leaving a trail of destroyed knees. You know what I mean? Like, you don't see it. I don't think I've ever seen anyone get seriously catastrophically injured in a tournament with a heel hook. The worst injuries I've ever seen have been from takedowns and from arm locks, ironically enough. So, oh, dude, guard jumps as well. Like, that, you're yes. allowed to guard jump at blue belt. You could break someone's yeah. leg doing that, and they can't. They can tap to heel hook. They can't tap to a fucking jump guard. Like, yeah, go I, that. I've fortunately never seen a guard jump injury in person, but I've seen them in video, and yeah, no, they are legitimately disgusting. Like that has, I would support banning guard jumps. I do not like them. I think that they're very dangerous and unnecessary, and um, um, like serve no purpose in the sport. So I would yeah. I would ban them, yeah. Yeah, like if you want to pull guard, pull guard properly instead of jump. Like you can't do flying Connie Basami, but you can jump guard. Like, but like the yeah. the rationale for banning that is that you can break someone's knee. Okay, fine, whatever, because right. that is a factor. But you can break someone's leg doing that as well. So whatever. <laughs> yeah. can, I, I would feel safer someone doing a Connie Basami. <laughs> to be honest, like yeah, the guard jump is like I remember one time I was training and. This dude did a guard jump on me. And when he did it, I literally, as soon as I felt him doing it, I just flopped to my back. <laughs> it was like, and he was like, why'd you let me mount you? I was like, bro, because you just fucking hyper-aggressively guard jumped at me. And I'm like, I'm not risking the potential destruction of my knees just so you can, I mean, like, complete your guard jump. You know what I mean? Like, so I guess he did still sort of complete it, but he didn't really complete it in the way he intended you know what I mean? So, uh, mm. yeah, it's just not worth the risk. I see. That's why. That's why I like fight to win because you know if you pull guard or if you jump guard, you get immediately punished with a fucking slam, especially the big wind up oh, where yeah. they like, jump in the air and like <laughs> put put everything instantly, like land on their knees. That is, oh, that's glorious. Yeah, F- fight the fight to win rule set has some major issues, specifically the whole counting submissions thing, which is kind of like vague and like. Kind of dumb, but yeah, I like that too. I think if you're gonna allow guard jumps, you should allow slams. You know, mm-hmm. a slam is less dangerous than a guard jump. I would much rather get slammed than have a guard jump. You get slammed, worst thing that's gonna happen probably is you're gonna you're gonna break a rib. Worst thing that's gonna happen, which is a bone. Worst thing that's gonna happen for a guard jump, you're gonna destroy both your knees and have to have reconstructive surgery, and they're never fully gonna be the same again. So. Yeah. Uh, I'll take I'll take a broken rib over that. Hundred percent, man. See, what was your favorite TV show growing up? If you had one, <laughs> wow, what a shift! <laughs> Catastrophic <laughs> knee injuries. The favorite TV show as a kid. Well, um, it's a segment about jiu-jitsu questions and non-jiu-jitsu questions. Bit of variety right, right. for these for people. <laughs> right, right, in case, course, yeah. in case someone who doesn't do jiu-jitsu is listening to my podcast for whatever reason, jiu-jitsu's in the name for God's sake. <laughs> sure, yeah. Um. Uh, uh, probably Goosebumps. Um, I mean, I had a lot of shows I liked as a kid, just like like any kid, obviously, right? Like, um, you know, probably the one I still watch nowadays is Goosebumps. I really like Goosebumps. I think it's like a really fun kids show. Like, it's really entertaining. Like, the episodes are really silly, terrible acting, horrible effects. But it's just like really like you know like I like so bad it's good horror movies. Like, I'm a big fan of those. And that TV show is like that to a T. Like it's it's terrible, <laughs> but it's good because it's terrible. And 
I liked it as a kid, and I, I still like it now. You know, I legitimately can watch that show for hours and, and be entertained. Um, yeah. Is there any is there any movie that you've seen that you describe as underrated in your opinion? Um. Yeah. Okay. Yes. Um. Not just one movie, but a series of movies. So I don't know if, yeah, I don't know if you've seen my Star Wars prequel trilogy rant on Instagram. <laughs> I <laughs> I actually love the Star Wars prequels. I think the Star Wars prequels are more entertaining. Now people are gonna hate me for this. I think they're more entertaining than the original trilogy. Okay, they're not better. They're just more entertaining. Okay, I am an old school hardcore Star Wars fan. Okay. I grew up watching the movies. I played all the video games. I read all the books. I played the role-playing game, like the tabletop role-playing game. Um, I'm not I, – I, I guess you could call me a casual fan nowadays. But back in the day, I was very much a hardcore fan. Um, and I loved the prequels, and I still do. They're so meme-worthy. There's so much quality meme content to be drawn from them. Like, there's much more meme content to be drawn than from the original trilogies. And I, and I also think that people are way too harsh on, like, some of the negative aspects of the prequels. Like, the originals have, like, so many silly things in them that people just let them get away with. Granted, like, it's less than the prequels, but I kind of like the silly stuff. Like, to me, it's just fun. Like, I don't watch Star Wars and take it super seriously. I think if you do, you're kind of missing the point of Star Wars. But, like, like I've never watched a Star Wars movie and not enjoyed it. Like, they're all entertaining in their own way. Even the ones, there are some that I don't like. Like, I don't like The Last Jedi. I think it's a bad movie. But when I watched it, I've watched it, like, three times. I still think it's entertaining, you know? Like, it's still a movie that I can, like, I can put on and, and be entertained by. Um, I think there are major flaws in it, but it's still entertaining. So if somebody says to me, like, okay, the prequels are bad movies, I won't even really argue. I just think they're entertaining, and to me, the point of a movie is to be entertaining. It doesn't need to yeah. be... Like, most of my favorite movies are what people would probably call bad movies. Um, I like intelligent films. Like Some of my favorite movies are more like artsy films. But at the same time, I find that most of my favorite films are like dumber. Because like to me, it's like... I don't need a movie to try to beat me over the head with a deep point. I'm just here to watch cool shit... <laughs> happen on screen so like i love king kong i love godzilla you know i like monster movies like maybe that's dumb but whatever man those are the kind of things i oftentimes find myself liking and and the prequels fit right into that same like category mm. i'll give the last jedi a bit of credit to be fair at least it tried to do something new and tried to subvert your expectations and tried to throw wrenches right. to work it didn't succeed but at least yeah. to try to venture it out to, to try something new and not just spoon feed you the same yeah. shit over and over again. It you know not, it didn't work out in its favor, but you know yeah. trying is, is admirable in my opinion. But then the last Jedi, the, what's it? The Rise of Sky, Rise of Skywalker. That's it. The last right. one. It just walked back everything. Like if it had stuck with what they changed, I would have respected it a lot more. But nah, it, they fucked it up. That, well, that, I, that's why I, that one's way worse than Last Jedi in my opinion. Well, it's funny. I, I have a totally different opinion. I love The Rise of Skywalker. And, like, when people say, like, when people are like, oh, but The Last Jedi tried to shake it up. Bro, I don't want them to shake it up. Like, I like Star Wars. I like the formula. They could keep making the same formulaic shit over and over again, and I'll like it. I don't need new stuff in Star Wars. 
<laughs> like I knew I know what I'm getting and I'm when I go into it and I like that. So um, but I do also respect the idea that like like I do get like here's a trick. I'm not opposed to new stuff. I just don't want it to be new stuff that like I just thought it was bad. You know what I mean? And I, and, and honestly, I thought the Rise of Skywalker was awesome. I liked Palpatine. I liked the twist. I don't want to ruin it. I like the big twist about Ray. I don't again. I don't want to ruin it. But I like the characters. I really like the new actors. I think they're really good. Um, I thought the whole thing was good. And like, yes, you're absolutely right. It was formulaic Star Wars bullshit. But that's what I fucking wanted. That's what I was going in there for. So yeah, I got what I wanted basically. Yeah, no, no complaints on my end. Uh, you were you were a satisfied customer there. You're like, yeah, yes. I got what I wanted. <laughs> oh, did you play uh, Jedi Fallen Order? Uh, no, that's a little bit after my time. That was right when I kind of stopped with my Star Wars fan interest. Oh my god, dude, that completely salvages it. That made me forgive all the shitty Star Warsness, and it made it like <laughs> that game. It came out like last year, man. It is so good. It's, yeah. Like it's a game. You know, EA made that game. I fucking hate EA, but that made me forgive them a little because they made a game that didn't suck. Right. <laughs> a rarity. Oh my god, it's so good. Uh, a surprise, but a pleasant one, to be sure. What is that, Obi-Wan, I think? <laughs> oh, that was that was Palpatine after he got elected in episode one. Oh, was, oh, you're right, yes, yes. Okay, I can't believe I'm mixing my memes up. You're right, you're right. <laughs> so surely, you can do, surely you can do better. Yeah, no, you're right. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, man, that was uh, that was Count Dooku in episode two. Like, uh, surely you can do better. I'll be having a meme about that soon. Right, wait, right. Just wait. So, so uh, if you want to make any Star Wars prequel memes involving me, I more than approve. So, <laughs> feel free. Dude, please tell me you follow pre prequel memes on Reddit. You're in r slash prequel memes. Yes, big fan. I love prequel memes. I go on there. <laughs> All the time, they're so good. <laughs> uh, Robert, what was uh, your first video game console? And what was your favorite game on it? Uh, my first one ever was probably a Game Boy. Um, and Pokemon, the original Pokemon was definitely my favorite game. I still have my original Game Boy, and I still have my original Pokemon Blue. And I still play Ooh. them. Yeah, I still play them on flights sometimes. Um, I have a Nintendo DS now that someone gave me in Tennessee at a seminar. Yeah, someone gave me a Nintendo DS at a seminar. That's like one of the nicest things anyone's done for me at a seminar. Uh, yeah, this guy just gave me, he's like, he, he found, he heard that I was like a, an old school Nintendo game fan. So when I was a kid, I played a lot of Nintendo games. So he heard that I, I, I was a fan of old Nintendo games. So he brought a DS with some games and he gave it to me at a seminar um and uh i like that one i the new games are awesome they're really really fun but man i don't know I, it's probably just nostalgia but the old game it is definitely just nostalgia but the old games fuck man they're so fucking good I, like i can't get enough of them mm. yo rob might i propose something a little challenge as it were <laughs> if we ever meet in person, we're going to bring our Game Boys and our Link cables because you have Pokemon Blue, I have Pokemon Red. We're going to nice. finally, we're going to finally settle which version is better. I we we have to make it happen. I'm done. And dude, I plan on coming back to Ireland many times. I I really really Ireland. Uh, I I was talking to uh, Gary Rooney about this recently. That is one of the countries that I felt most welcomed in that I've ever visited. Like 
I, I would say the, the, the countries with the most overwhelmingly friendly people that I've ever visited were Ireland and India. Those two countries were, I mean, I've liked everywhere I've visited and people have been welcoming, very welcoming everywhere. But the most overwhelmingly welcoming and friendly people have been the Irish and, and were the Indians when I visited. So yeah, I, I 100% will come back. I wish I had more time when I was in Ireland. I was only in Dublin for like three days. And it was so fucking beautiful. It was so nice. So yeah, I, I 100% will come back to Ireland. And you should come to whatever seminars I do when I'm there. Of course I will, man. See, yeah, I only found out yeah. about you like in the past few months, like after you'd already left Ireland. I'm like, oh, why couldn't I fucking found out about it? Like, uh, <laughs> you know, but to be fair, like I don't keep up with fucking everything in the jiu-jitsu world. It's a really right. bad habit. I wish I could shake, but you know, I'm fucking lazy in some regards. It's weird. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that you're doing the podcast, I'm sure you're going to start to get more involved and like see things and like you're probably going to be forced to by virtue of running the podcast and it, it'll be good for you uh you'll 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 be more exposed to the community and such mm. oh well oh wait we got a bit of a while we're talking about ireland are you up for the crack <laughs> <laughs> the what i don't know what what is that how don't you know that expression you were oh wait you were only in ireland for three days uh are you up for the crack it's c-r-a-i-c that means you know fun good time laugh with the boys are you up uh... for the crack <laughs> yeah, I was very up for the crack when I was in Ireland. Um, I had so <laughs> much fun. I, I explored Dublin with Max Lolly and Gary Rooney, and it was like, it was a really fucking good time. <laughs> they, they, uh, they, we were at the uh, the Trinity College, I think was the name, and there were yeah. like some, some Irish writing, and they're like, Rob, read that out loud. And I was like, Siam Hagen Galarganaga. <laughs> <laughs> Just try. Obviously, I could not pronounce it, but like that was why it was funny. Yeah. Oh, dude, did you did you get to see the fucking uh, Book of Kells while you were there? No, that's in the library, right? Yeah. See, you know, it's this fucking really ancient tome that they found in a fucking bog and they restored it. And see, they have it in a fucking glass case and they turn one page every day, very uh, delicate, like because it was found in a fucking bog. You know, yeah. that's in a ditch under a fucking water dirt all this shit it was it's amazing that it was still it was salvageable fucking hell yeah i i i saw i watched uh an animated film about it that's where i first heard about it um and no but we didn't we didn't see it we were mostly just like fucking around to be honest we were, we were just <laughs> be, being like fucking goons just wandering <laughs> Dublin. <laughs> I could not imagine you as a goon, even if you had like a balaclava <laughs> on your face and a, 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 a M4 at a fucking bank. They, everyone on the fucking floor, we'll fucking rob you, bitches. Oh no, not that kind of, not that kind of goon. I just mean a goon in like a sense of just being like a goofball. Uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, man! I'm down here in a basement at like three in the morning, fucking laughing my head off. If anyone's around, I'm like, what the fuck is wrong with that guy? Is he is he torturing <laughs> someone in the basement, fucking oh killing them god. or some shit? American Psycho style. And then they come down and they realize you're actually running a jujitsu podcast, which is even worse. <laughs> I'm like, get the fuck out of my basement, man! I'm doing a podcast. Gosh, you know that sort of thing. Just, just a, the, the fucking. What's it? The injustice of being inter interrupted during a podcast that would just stick with me for months. The the inhumanity. <laughs> yeah, bad, exactly. The, the indignity I've been, the injustice I've been dealt. 
Right. <laughs> oh man, uh, do you have any nicknames aside the gym? Um, uh, I had an old nickname, but nobody calls me it anymore. Uh, it's a stupid nickname, but it's kind of kind of funny. They used to call me at my old gym the coat hanger, and um, <laughs> so like, here's the actual story of the nickname. I came up with a I came up with a joke story, but here's the actual story. So the actual reason I started getting called the coat hanger is because I did not really want a nickname, and we were sitting around, and my old coach at the time was like, "Rob, you need a nickname," and I was like, "You can just call me whatever you want," and he's like, "He's he's like, give me an idea," and I was like, "All right, just call me like whatever the next object you look at, just call me that." And there was a coat hanger, and he was like, "How about the coat hanger?" And I was like. Sounds good to me. Like, that's literally why they started calling me that. So um, it was almost like a, it was just a complete joke of a nickname. Um, but it, another thing that was fun about it was asking people to try to figure out why I was called the coat hanger. And I heard a lot of very creative <laughs> thoughts <laughs> on that topic. Uh, but none of them were right. It was just a dumb joke. Um, but no, beyond that, I never really have gotten a nickname. Yeah. Mm. I guess the sexual tyrannosaur will have to stick. Yes, except that. Yes, that is way better. I like that. It's much more accurate as well. Uh, if any women are listening to this podcast, like it, it very accurately describes who I am. <laughs> like that. That's such a weird phrase because, like, it's not even the full. Like Tyrannosaurus is like, like Tyrannosaurus, like T Rex is like ty Tyrant Lizard King. But then right. you take that off, it's Tyrant Lizard, but it's not the full word Tyrannosaurus, so it's like Tyrant Lizard or something. Right. <laughs> well, whatever it is, it accurately describes me. I'll just put it that way. <laughs> oh, my God. He's like, yeah, he's wearing his brown belt and his fucking, uh, he, the belt he won at the tournament. It's like, ladies form a line. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's funny. I forgot. I'm going to make, uh, I've, I've been planning on making a meme uh, uh, post with like I have like eight Naga belts and I was playing thinking <laughs> a pose with all my Naga belts I'm being like ladies restrain yourselves or, or like, <laughs> something like that the Naga belts look cool as fuck no one can argue against that they look awesome so okay. yeah, they're, they're, uh, they don't mean much but they're awesome looking Here's what you do. You get every single one of your medals, you wear them all, you wear as many belts and hold as many belts as you can, you get your homies to hold the rest of the belts at your <laughs> side, and that will send a message. Right. Right, yeah. <laughs> Very strong message. <laughs> by, by the way, that, that picture of me with my two friends in the in the black basement where I have no shirt on and I'm pointing at the camera, that is my Tinder profile picture. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, well, have you gotten any inquiries about it? Um, no, I think my match rate has gone down like a lot since I started using it. So like, it's probably time to change it. But like, um, yeah, I don't take Tinder that seriously. Like, since I've been focusing on the trials, I haven't really had too much time for for uh, for girls. I haven't really been trying too hard in that area. Um, so it's mostly just been like a dumb joke to entertain myself at night sometimes. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I am actually yeah. supposed to hang out with a girl tomorrow. Actually, though, I don't know if that's gonna happen, but we'll see. Well, if you ever, if it ever, if it doesn't go down, it's like, oh yeah. How about if you want to get to know me better, listen to my episode on the Humanity Jutsu podcast. <laughs> and you get the <laughs> just say, I'll oh send yeah, the podcast. 
Yeah. <laughs> imagine, imagine that if you're single, like, okay, if you want to get a good read of what I'm like, listen to me on this podcast. <laughs> so, so what, yeah, what I usually do when I start talking to a new girl is I, I, uh, I ask her to describe all the possible stupid life decisions someone could make. And I say, that's me, baby. No, I'm, <laughs> I'm, a, I'm a full-time jujitsu guy. There's fewer things that could be dumber than that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, speaking of women, have you ever been on a really terrible date? Most of my <laughs> dates are terrible. So I, I think that describes about 98% of them, to be honest. Um, an especially bad one. I mean, like, I can think of a terrible date, but it's not like an interesting terrible date. It's just like, uh, I went to a movie with this girl. I thought she was good looking. And then afterwards, I was like, hey, you want to come back to my place? And she was like, nah. And she went home. <laughs> so it's not like exciting. It's just like, damn, just got rejected. Like, that was why it was bad. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I never really, I don't get the whole uh, going to the movie with them. That, uh, I've done that a few times. I'm like, uh, I don't really see the appeal. Yeah, the, the reason why I like to go to a movie is, um, so it's like an opportunity to be sitting there with them and like you kind of, you can talk during the movie, you know what I mean? Like I usually try to talk to them during it. You know, you want to go to a movie where there's not a lot of people inside, right? Because then. Um, so the trick was I used to work at a movie theater so I could get in for free. So it wasn't like, it was also just cause I was a cheap fuck. So I could get snacks for free. I could go in the theater for free. So it'd be like a free date for me, you know? And also you'd have the opportunity or you can talk, you know what I mean? Just go in the corner. Just don't be like too loud. And then because it's dark, you know, you can like try to like make your moves, you know, on them. And, oh like, man. I was just at the, so I was I was just at the cinema yesterday with my friends. I was I went to see Tenet again. I love that movie. It's so good. I went to see it a second time. I don't do that oh, for God. movies unless they're real. I haven't done that in like 10 years, gone to see a, a movie twice. But man, yeah. there were these two people who were clearly obviously on a first date in the back corner of the theater. And uh, they were doing some weird shit back there. I'm like, fucking hell. Oh my it's God. the middle of the day, for God's sake. What the fuck? Jesus. Well... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> here's a here's a fun fact. This has never been I've never said this on any other podcast. I got laid once in a movie theater. Uh, we were it was me and this hippie girl, and it was there was no one else in the theater, and it, we were watching the SpongeBob movie. Uh, which one? The one from two thousand four or the one from two thousand thirteen? The two the better one, the two thousand thirteen one. That one's much better in my opinion. Huh. Yeah. So while there was a talking space dolphin, I was getting laid. <laughs> <laughs> but did you ever think you would ever say that phrase in your life? I don't think no. anyone else in the entire world has said that sequence of words in that order. Probably not. Yeah. Well, I'm a, it, it's always got to be a first. And it, it, this time it was me. Yeah, rec, that's that's a that's worth that's worthy of a world record right there. <laughs> Put that that's in the description for the podcast. Rob talks about how, the time he got laid with a stalking space dolphin on the on the screen. <laughs> that sounds like a fucking bad DMT trip, not a not a trip that to movie the movie is, That movie is like an acid trip. It's such a bizarre movie. It's like an experimental SpongeBob art house film. You know what I mean? Mm. Like, do they swap around genres and animation styles every so often? Yes. Yeah. Have you ever seen that movie? 
I've seen clips and stuff, but I've never gotten around to seeing it. Like, I, I like the, the first SpongeBob movie. I don't know yeah. why people give it a bum rap. I just like it. Yeah, it's so I'll, just from my perspective, I really think the first SpongeBob movie is good, but bland. The second one is psychotic. It's insane. It goes all over the place. There's like five different animation styles. The story makes no sense, but I highly recommend it because it's it's like an art house SpongeBob film. It's like, what are they going to do next? It, it's like, oh, okay, now we're doing this. Okay, I wasn't expecting that. Like, there's aliens in the movie. There's a talking space dolphin, you know? Like, there's literal, like, fucking dimension traveling in that film. And it's a SpongeBob movie. Yeah, so I, I seriously highly recommend it. It's really good. Man, I'll have to look into fucking... Yeah, you should see Tenet, by the way. That's a great movie. Have you seen it yet? No, the, the trailers look, look amazing. I, I definitely Dude, the trailers don't do it don't do it service, man. I don't I don't think the trailers were good the way they were made, but man, the movie is fucking okay. phenomenal. I mean, I think I thought the trailers looked pretty pretty decent, but uh, I mean, um, if you're saying it, it's even better than than that, I'm, I'm sure it's great. I mean, he's a great director too, Christopher Nolan. Like, I like all of his movies, especially Interstellar. I think Interstellar is awesome. Um, uh, but. Yeah, I think those, all his movies are pretty good. Hmm. Oh, man, if you could time travel to any historical period, where would you go and why? Um, hmm. Yeah, it's interesting. Do I have to live there permanently or just for a short period? No, you can go, stay for like a minute, see if you like it, and then leave. You don't have to stay there. And, you know, okay. you can... Uh, you can change stuff without affecting the timeline you come from because that's the only feasible way time travel could work. Right. Okay. Um, well, I would be very interested to go early into the, the I, I would be very interested to go into like the 1940s and 50s in Singapore. Um, because I'm moving to Singapore, I, I, uh, I'm really into like history and I kind of like, I've been reading a lot about Singaporean history. And I think the 40s and the 50s in Singapore was a very interesting time period as they gained their independence from Britain and they they started to sort of carve their own identity out as a, as a nation. And I think the political, political turmoil of that period was like totally insane. And I would love to, if I could somehow be there and sort of see like what actually happened in some of these meetings and like some of this, some of this like, stuff going on like yeah so right now that because that's kind of what i've been thinking about lately mm. oh man we got a bit of a moral conundrum here if you're up for it uh shoot yeah sure man would you rather cure cancer or solve world hunger oh man well i i think i'd have to go with world hunger i think that's more people i would guess i i think that would mm. no I, I see your reasoning because who knows? Maybe one of the hungry kids will grow up to cure cancer, so you get a two for one deal. <laughs> yeah, I was. I guess that's true. I was mainly just thinking, like, I think in terms of pure numbers, I would have to guess more people are starving than have cancer. I don't know. I could be wrong, but I think I think that there's probably more starving people out there than people that have cancer. Mm. I'm not sure. Plus, think about it. Think about this. Like, there's so many cancer charities, so many cancer research things, and cancer suddenly disappeared. So many people would be out of a job. They'd be oh like, "Oh God. fuck, we're we're <laughs> yo, all screwed." Yo, you can't say that, bro. That's fucked. 
No, that's too far. <laughs> no, I'm just I'm just thinking that that just that just occurred to me one day. I'm like, imagine just imagine hypothetically if cancer just vanished suddenly. So many of those people would be out of work. To be like, well, shit. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah, I guess that's not how I would think about it, but sure, I guess so. Yeah. <laughs> that's, a fuck, <laughs> that's a fucked way to think about it. <laughs> well, man, you're. Uh, that's that's the way my fucking weird ass mind works. Fair enough. Dude, dude, I have a fucking mohawk and I call myself Humanzi. Of course, my mind is fucked. <laughs> I can't argue with that. That that seems accurate. <laughs> oh man, uh, in your professional opinion, do you think you could rock a handlebar mustache? Um, you might find out pretty soon because I. I've debated shaving the beard and going mustache only for a while. Uh, so you may find out at some point. Mm, I, might I suggest a good a good in-between? How about the general custer where you just shave your chin but have the big bushy <laughs> beard all around it? Yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> Maybe. That's a goofy one, right? Like, possibly. We'll see. Um, for now, I've decided I'm not going to shave until after the trials. I'm going to go full, like, fucking caveman until then. And then after the mm -hmm. trials, we'll see what I do. After the trials, I'm moving to Singapore. And typically, Asian girls prefer clean-shaven guys. So I might, I might shave. Yeah. Mm. Well, they might, they might like the caveman vibe, depending. Possibly, Asian girls, in my experience, tend to not like it as much because Asian guys usually do not have as much facial hair. Though I have seen Asian guys with some pretty good beards, but on average, it's, you see it less. And um, just from my experience traveling through Asia, Asian girls can sometimes be more easily intimidated by, by like American or European girls, and they don't typically like the beard quite as much. So, yeah, you know, if, if I'm gonna be in Asia, it makes sense to appeal to the demographic there. So <laughs> they don't like. Well, the you're beard. you're already a you're already a foreign delicacy, and you're a phenomenal grappler. What more do they want? <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone's ever gotten laid because they're good at grappling, like. So, I, I I shouldn't say that. That's not true. I guess. I guess probably there's probably exceptions, but like that's definitely not part, true. Well, yeah, I guess. But like, what girl watches the tournament and goes, "Damn, that guy's got such good, you know, 50-50 defense." Oh my god! <laughs> like she watches the tournament, and she goes, "Damn, the subtlety of his use of Ashigurabi gets me going." <laughs> you know oh, my what I mean? like, <laughs> oh my god! That fifty-fifty! Oh my god! <laughs> yeah, no girl has ever thought that to herself. So, um, yeah, I don't think that'll be a factor. But the foreign delicacy thing, um, I guess so. You know, whenever you're a novelty, this is something I've noticed while I've been traveling. Whenever you're a novelty somewhere, it makes things certainly easier. I'll put it that way. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> I'll no, keep that in like... mind if I, ever go, if I ever go traveling. I'll keep that in mind. Well, so, like, for instance, have you ever been to the U.S.? Uh, no, I was supposed to go over, but then the fucking corona shit happened, and right. that got thrown into the fucking, that got thrown away. All right, so I'm telling you, bro, when you come to the U.S., you are going to clean up here. Like, these American girls, uh, like, they're going to hear your accent, and they're going to be falling all over you. Like, it makes things so much easier. Like, <laughs> I had such an easy time of it in Europe. Like, it was so easy. <laughs> Um, and it's the same thing with you guys over here. Because whenever there's whenever there's a novelty factor, it just makes things easier, right? Like, 
I get it. When I talk to a girl who's interested, who's from a place I've never been, or there's something interesting about her in that regard, that makes me more interested in her. So it's the same thing with girls. When, you know, like I, I, for instance, like would talk to girls and like, they, I'd be like the first American that they had ever gone on a date with or something. You know what I mean? Like it adds a novelty factor to it. So it, it, it helps things out. Pretty Yo, Rob, have you ever yeah. considered being a dating coach as well as a jiu-jitsu coach? <laughs> no, you don't want dating advice from me. Trust me. <laughs> I, got, I can just imagine you on the mat with this chick. Okay, so guys, so obviously halfway through, you don't want there to be awkward silence. So you gotta make fucking small talk. And you can't just use boilerplate shit. You gotta fucking be creative, man. And obviously, you know the arm around the shoulder thing. That you know that never actually works. That's fucking overplayed to death. Do something fucking original, guys. That sort of thing. <laughs> well. Yeah, I guess so. Um, I mostly just wing it. I, I think I have a, 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 a I, I use the shotgun method. Just keep trying as many people as possible. And uh, I have the general belief that trying to systemize, you know, like a lot of guys want to have a system for getting laid. And there's some sense in which certain elements of the process can be systemized, but largely it's like, you can't really systemize it because you're you're dealing with other individuals who may or may not want to fuck you. And that's the chief factor involved in the process. So, like, the only thing you can really do, as far as I'm concerned, is not be a slob, not be unhygienic, not be a fucking weird creep, and just keep shooting your shot as consistently as you can. And that's all that can be said about it. If you want to call that a system, you can. But there's a lot of charlatans out there that will, like, tell you other things about, like, You've got to do this, 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 and this. It's like, I, I don't know. You don't really. A lot of it's random. Like, just do those things. And I guess be generally confident in who you are. I think generally, like, if I if I meet a girl and she's, like, constantly shitting all over herself, that's not, no one's attracted to that, period, point blank. So, like, yeah. But those are, like, general pieces of advice. You know what I mean? But, like, mm. as for coaching, I don't think you want to be coached by me on that. <laughs> the, only <laughs> thing, the only thing you want me to coach you on is jujitsu and, uh, if you're writing a paper on Wittgenstein, I can help you out with that. But beyond that, you don't want to get coached by me. Oh man, like, do you ever see these YouTube ads of like uh, these fucking dating coaches? Like, like I saw an ad that no joke on YouTube. It was a fucking skippable ad. It was 48 fucking minutes long. It was wow. like, okay, this is how it started. Yo, guys, do you ever fucking have the a fucking text message thing on Tinder not go well, or you know, it's dying. Your one doesn't respond. How about how about you use this secret text message? Uh, method i'm going to teach you 20 fucking minutes into this 47 minute video right. and once you click click my link click the link go to my website sign up to my mail list and send me fucking five dollars a month then i'll tell you how to fucking do this and it'll just be some stupid bullshit that's a fucking money making scheme oh my god that shit drives me crazy yeah well that stuff is obviously just a scam it's just some guy trying to make money off of people um i haven't seen that one but i mean it's i can imagine what it is it's just stupid bullshit mm. Oh man, uh, get back to the questions. There's only a few left. So, uh, what would uh -huh. you say? What would you say is your jujitsu spirit animal if you have one? That's a good one. Um, used to be, I would say a turtle. Um, uh, but I don't. I'm trying to not be have it be a turtle anymore, because I was mm -hmm. always mainly interested in defense before offense. So I guess that's the that's the turtle, right? It goes into a shell and such. Um. Uh, there's a lot to there's a lot to there's a lot to unpack here. Is it a ninja turtle? And if so, which one? 
<laughs> you know what? All right. I'll keep it turtle. It's a ninja turtle. It's Donatello. Uh, Donatello is always my favorite turtle. So, yeah, I'll keep it as a turtle and specifically Donatello. Yeah, they should, they should bring back Ninja Turtles and have a new one where his bandana is brown and call him fucking, uh, I don't know, uh, what's another artist from the Renaissance period? I can't think of one. Right. Um, I, I don't really know. I used to be much more interested in, in like fine art, but I kind of like fell out of that interest. Hmm. Oh, dude, I heard something very interesting about Michelangelo one time. You know when he was uh, sculpting David, right? The, the statue yeah. David. Yeah, so yeah. What, so uh, the guy who hired, who commissioned him to sculpt David, uh, he was checking up on Michelangelo's progress. He was like, oh, yeah. But the way he was standing, he was looking directly up at David, at the statue. And the nose <laughs> looked big from the way he was standing, from uh, the pr- place he was standing. And he's like, oh, Michelangelo, it's perfect, but the nose is a bit too big. But, you know, the way he stands, the place he's standing, it looks big from his perspective. But if he took a step back, he'd see it's grand. So Michelangelo, he didn't even want to argue at that point. He's like, you know what? I think you're right. So he went up to the scaffolding and sneakily grabbed some, uh, what's it? What's it? Uh, Stone dust, you know, some of the chiseled off stuff, some of the chiseled off stone. And whenever he'd make it look like he was chiseling the nose, he knew it was perfect. He didn't want to fuck it up. And he just let out a little bit of dust out of his hand every so often. So your man thinks he's chiseling the stone when he isn't. So, because, you know, he didn't want to get into a fucking argument with his boss. So, you know, crisis averted. Your man got his little input on his thing and your man didn't compromise his fucking work. So, boom, everyone wins. Strategy. Yeah, that's that's, that's clever. Yeah, that makes sense. Absolutely. That's not where I thought that was going to go. I thought you were going to say he just fucked up the nose just to spite the guy or something. <laughs> no. Oh, man, I'll send you some videos like that because it, it was like stuff from the, this one book. It was the, um, 48 Laws of Power and uh, the 33 Strategies of War. One of the tra- strategies is, is about jiu-jitsu, like your man phrased it like that. Uh-huh. I'll, I'll send you that extra- extract if I find it. It's like, oh, okay, yeah. so. I'll, I'll read it, yeah. Hmm. So, Rob, we're here at the last question. Are you ready for the last question? <laughs> what would you say is the most important lesson you've learned in all the years training jiu-jitsu? Oh, boy. Like, technically or, like, personally? Personally, my dude. Hmm. I mean, that's a tough one. I think that I would say that... <sighs> okay, it's kind of hard to explain. I think that... Um, is it might sound cliche too. I think that in life, the best thing we can hope to do is feel satisfied with what we do. And there's a sense in which many of the problems in life, I think, are best dealt with not by pushing through them, but by circumnavigating them. So sometimes in life, a lot of things kind of stress us out that we may or may not even have the ability to even um, really deal with. And what jujitsu can serve as is as a way for us to kind of deal with problems that have a very clear and concrete um, solution. And solving those problems leaves us with this sense of satisfaction about life, which makes the earlier problems that we may or may not have actually had the ability to solve seem unimportant. And you feel relieved in a sense 
So that really, to me, and I could go on for this about this for quite a while. It's pretty complicated how I feel about this. I think jujitsu can serve a very therapeutic function in that sense. So I would say that the willingness to let go of problems that I can't solve has been the greatest gift jujitsu has ever given me. And it's taught me that by giving me problems that I can solve. And then you can distinguish between those problems which you can solve and those that you can't. And you can concern yourself with the ones that you can solve. So I would say that that's been the single biggest lesson I've ever gotten from jujitsu. Well, I think that is the single best answer I've received for that question. 53 <laughs> episodes in, that is the single best answer I've received. Because, you know, <laughs> wow, we, all know, we all know the cliche of, yeah, you realize what matters when someone's, what actually matters when someone's fucking on your back strangling you. Uh-huh. Mm. You realize, it puts things into perspective a bit. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, because like, you ever have one of those training sessions when you like you feel like so exhausted but so good? You, we've all had this. It's super common, right? And it just sort of you 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 might maybe you go into the training session with like a lot of stress, but then you leave and you're like, ah, you just feel good. Feels like a taking a drink from a nice cold tall glass of water, you know? And it, it does that, but for your life, you know. We don't drink water in Ireland. We drink exclusively Guinness. Oh, all right. Well, then good, you guys. Good analogy, though. Good analogy, though. <laughs> you guys have a different experience then, but it's maybe it's still sort of similar. <laughs> it hydrates us, whatever. <laughs> right, right. You guys love one thing I noticed in Europe. You guys love sparkling water much more than we do over here. Oh my god, man! Everyone in my family fucking loves sparkling water. I fucking hate it so much. It's horrible. Yeah, I'm not. <laughs> Unless it's like lemon lime flavor, that's the only caveat I'll make. But every other fucking sparkling water can fuck off. I hate it so much. <laughs> well, it's super popular over there. Uh, yeah. Oh god. Okay, so guys, we're gonna call it an episode there. Obviously, if you want to follow Robert on any social medias, it's at Robert Deagle BJJ on Instagram. All the stuff will be in the description anyway. We can go to Robert Deagle online. BJJ, did I get it right this time? Or Robert yeah, Deagle BJJ online? So yeah, yeah, uh, my website, yeah, my website is Robert Deagle. That's D E G L E BJJ Online dot com, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, and you got the IG right, yeah, yeah, yeah. So guys, I'll feel his, you know, his site will be there linked anyway. If you feel free to look at his Connie Basami course or his uh, guard retention and leg lock defense course, it's all good shit. It's uh, it's from a genius man like himself obviously you can you can you can follow me on me uh, you can follow me at humans jitsu humans jitsu podcast be sure to follow my co-host their stuff will be in the bio support us on patreon if you want to get the episodes early plus get access to patreon exclusive episodes which will be coming soon i fucking promise the patreon will be worth it soon <laughs> so robert do you, do you have anything to say before we shoot off um no just thanks for having me i, I had a good time um i thought the questions were really fun much like sillier than <laughs> like a lot of other podcasts and uh, i liked the the tone you know it was fun mm. no dude like uh i, li- I like it being light-hearted because like i don't have any yeah. uh what's it uh illusions about who i am like i'm a fucking no-name blue belt in ireland you know i just do this for fun i'm not like right. i'm not yeah, making yeah. any any money off it so why should i take it super seriously you know so i'll just yeah. do it fun I, but i think that's gonna I, what i suspect will happen is if you keep doing this i think that that attitude of fun will actually lead the podcast to becoming popular because 
you know, sometimes when uh, things are too serious, it is less entertaining to listen to. You know what I mean? Mm. Or if it's the same epi- same fucking uh, episode, like every single time, except, you know, and delivery is the same of every single question. Uh, not, not throwing shade at any particular podcast in general. Not throwing shade. Totally not. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. After we get off air, I, I need to ask you who you're referencing. I really don't know. <laughs> okay, we'll get off air now. Thanks for listening, guys. Hope you enjoyed. Oos.